We've been in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to continue to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. And I forgot, I have the slide controller. Are we ready to go yet? Yes, okay. Okay, that is the first slide, so we're ready to go. And what we've been talking about is this this idea of mosaic and this theme that runs through Ephesians, which is defined by us in this moment as mosaic. And the mosaic is kind of a coming together and forming a, a entire picture or entire design. And it's, uh, it's, it's representative of the body of Christ and how we as individuals come together and form this body of Christ uh, as the church. And I titled this sermon, Everything is Illuminated. And I don't know if you're, if you're a fan of this book slash movie, if you've heard of it. Uh, I've not read the book, but I've seen the movie, and I loved the movie. It was amazing. It starred this guy named Eugene Hunt. Now, if you've seen the movie, you're thinking, no, it starred Elijah Wood. But Eugene Hunt was actually the best character in that movie. He was the Ukrainian guy, and he's the lead singer also in a band called Gogo Bordello. If you've not heard of them, check them out. You won't be disappointed. Really cool. It's spelled G-O-G-O-L, Bordello. Really good stuff. They're pioneers of gypsy punk. It's awesome. It's so cool. Anyway, (coughs) excuse me. I'm going to get my water too. Uh, The reason, though, that I titled this Everything is Illuminated has nothing to do with with Ethan Hunt or Gogo Bordello, uh, but it does have to do with with the book and the way the book and, and the movie that matter kind of lays out it's about a young jewish man who is kind of seeking out kind of the reason for his existence maybe or or why things are the way they are and so he ends up going back to ukraine to uh, to find the village where a woman saved his grandfather from the nazis and in doing this in in this in this journey in this trip he he finds out Things about himself, his, his life, his past becomes illuminated and therefore his present situation where he is, why he does the things he does becomes illuminated because all of this stuff added together is what has made him who he is, just, just going way back and it illuminates him. So that's, that's the background of this and we're also going to, before we get deep into this, we're going to do a little recap. So we talked about, Steve has talked about, and pretty much every week we've talked about the gospel. And the gospel is simply our nice Christianese word for good news. And Steve talked about the essence of the gospel. And uh, the essence of the gospel is how we have moved from sin through grace into a a life of eternity in God's eternal presence, being being heaven. Uh, I just need to make sure we're doing the right slides here. We are. And the, the workmanship underneath there comes from, uh, from Ephesians 2, verse 10, which says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. It is not through works that we receive God's grace. And that's something we need to, we need to say here, because that workmanship makes it sound like it, it's works. But the good works are received from God for us to do. And the workmanship here is God's workmanship. He's continually working in us. We're, we're continually developing. We're not there yet. We're, we're still developing. This mosaic is still being put together. 
We also discuss the application of the gospel, how it applies outwardly in our relationships with each other inside the body, also with people outside of the body of Christ, and uh, also our inward relationship, how the gospel changes us, how, how we accept it and, it and it actually changes us. And then it applies upwardly. It applies to our relationship with God and how we perceive and receive our Creator. And last week, and, and I couldn't find Steve's slide that he did for this, so I made my own. That's why it's not as pretty. But uh, we have the church, and there's unity within the church. And, and a lot of Ephesians and a lot of Paul's letters as well talk about this, talk about the, the separation that has existed between Jew and Gentile and how within the church, within the body of Christ, that separation doesn't exist anymore. We are all together building this mosaic there's no separation. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And this is found in Ephesians 3, verse 6, where Paul writes, Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. This is echoed in another of Paul's letters, Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Sorry about that. So this brings us to where we are now. And we are in the last half of Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to go all the way through uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, it sounds like a lot. We're going to take little chunks of it and digest it and we'll get there. So let's start off with reading chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. So, what did you want me to read again? Oh, 17 through 19. Yeah, 17 to 19. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Okay, it sounds kind of like a departure from what Paul has been preaching. It sounds kind of like, like disunity. We've got instead of, instead of uh, God, Jews and Gentiles being one, we've got Paul kind of calling out Gentiles and this Gentile lifestyle. But I think we need to consider a, a couple things here. First, we need to consider that, uh, that this Greek word for Gentile could be interpreted differently. It could be interpreted simply as, as pagan as someone outside of the church. It doesn't necessarily have to interpret as non-Jew. It can be interpreted as non-Jew. It can be interpreted as Gentile. So this, we're not going to dwell on this point. The second thing to consider is that Paul is writing this uh, because there's something going on, right? If, if indeed Paul is writing this letter, as we, as we believe, as we trust he is, to, to believers in Ephesians, in Ephesus, sorry, who were also Gentiles or non-Jews, then someone, somewhere, or maybe a, a large number of people are bringing previous practices into the body with them. And Paul is calling out these previous practices. And we read, <coughs> excuse me, in verse, verse 19, of, of them having given themselves over to sensuality and indulging in every kind of impurity and having lust for more, uh, the translation that, that I used actually says that, that they had this lust for more, which 
in, in, uh, in our reading was translated as greed, which correctly, if, if you have this insatiable lust for more, that is, that is greed. That's the definition of greed. But the, this, this sensuality and giving yourselves over to these things, it's, it's, it sounds sexual, right? This is, this is sexual impurity is, is kind of the, the, the uh, implication that we have. And we know through, through extra-biblical writings that, that uh, temple prostitution was a, an actual occurrence among Greek pagans, that, uh, that part of worshiping, especially of the goddess Artemis, who was the goddess whose temple was erected, maybe bad word, but it was in Ephesus, this, uh, this would have been going on. There would have been temple prostitutes, and it was a way for the temple to raise money. A, a rather effective way. And Paul's calling this out because it's not like these, these women who were temple prostitutes and, and probably young men as well were not there of their own volition. They didn't volunteer for this. They, they were slaves. They were forced into this lifestyle. So Paul is, is calling out that this is not a lifestyle for people that are part of the body of Christ. And it's likely that a number of the Gentiles, a number of the Greeks who were attending the church in Ephesus were still engaging in that lifestyle. And Paul is just simply saying that's, that's not your lifestyle anymore. But there's more to this, I think. This is kind of the, the surface that we read, but I think there's a little bit more. And, and to get into that, let's go ahead and read verses 20 through 24. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so it may be, may be a little less obvious in this, but... But what is mentioned here is, is the attitude that's being brought to worship. So the, in, in, in ancient Greece, the, the worship of a deity involved quid pro quo, which you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do something for me, I'll do something for you. And this was, uh, this was exemplified in the way that they worshiped. So someone would, in, in Ephesus, likely go to the temple of Artemis, and beseech Artemis, Artemis, goddess of fertility, please bless my crops this year that I may make a lot of money off of them. If and when that happens, then there would be a, uh, a, a sacrifice offered to Artemis. This isn't the gospel that Paul wants to preach, and it's not what he wants to spread in Ephesus, and it, it's not what God is intending now, I don't want to say that, that, that we don't ask God for blessings. Obviously, we do. And God wants us to ask for blessings. However, that's not a contingency of our worship. God's blessings are not the reason that we worship him. God's grace is sufficient. So this fact that God, through his grace, pulled us out of sin and planted us in an eternal relationship with him through Jesus is the reason we worship. It's not to receive this quid pro quo. It's not 
to get God to scratch our backs. In fact, in Greek worship, you didn't even need to lead a moral life in order to have the gods scratch your back. You could be completely immoral and the gods would, would bless you. That was kind of kind of their, their teaching. And <coughs> therefore, morality was not a part of what was, was preached in ancient Greece. In fact, merchants oftentimes would go to different cities and they would worship the god of that city in order to hopefully be blessed in their trading in that city and be profitable. And it was kind of hedging their bets. So they would worship whatever god is in that city to hopefully get blessings. And they would worship every god just so that they would hopefully get this quid pro quo. They would get their, their back scratched. It reminds me of things that, that we see today. And, and I actually um, knew an old, uh, a couple years and years ago. They were a real estate agents, a husband and wife real estate team. And they had been Catholic my entire life growing up. And then I ran into them. And they weren't, they weren't attending Catholic church anymore. They were attending a mega church. And I asked them, you know, well, what's the reason for this? And basically it was because they were able to network better in the megachurch. Now, is that wrong? Is that sinful? I don't know. But there needs to be an attitude of, of worship, of, of worshiping God for who he is and for his grace, not because we're looking for something from him. It reminds me of the Christian Blue Pages as well. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. It's not as big a thing anymore. Back in the day, there was a book called The Yellow Pages, and it had all of these merchants in there. Um, In fact, someone might still get it delivered to their door. I just put ours in the recycling bin the other day uh, because the internets and all of that have kind of made it obsolete. But the Christian Blue Pages was the yellow pages for Christian merchants. And you would put your ad in there if you, as a Christian, wanted a plumber to come to your house, you would go through the Christian blue pages and pick a Christian plumber to come to your house, among other things. Again, is this bad? Is this sinful? I don't know. That's, that's not what I'm really questioning here. I'm, the question is attitude. It's about motives. Are we, through our life, trying to exalt God? Are we trying to glorify God? Are we worshiping God? Or are we looking for this quid pro quo? And I think that's where the prosperity gospel falls apart as well. If we're just looking for blessings on the other side, then we are not approaching our Christian life as we should. And and I think Paul is calling this out here. He's calling for the Greeks, the non-Jews, the Gentiles in Ephesus to put this aside, to put off the greed, to put off all of this, and to seek God, to put on a new self. I'm reminded of, uh, of I, I read about uh, Andrew Carnegie. And Andrew Carnegie was among the wealthiest people ever to live on this earth. If his wealth were were, uh, were in today's dollars, he would be probably the wealthiest man on earth. Of course, he died a long time ago, so that doesn't matter. But he was also a ruthless, ruthless businessman. He was tyrannical in his business practices. He destroyed people in his business practices. But he was also a a weekly churchgoer. He was at his church every week, donated lots of money to his church and to other charities. 
And he was asked once, how do you reconcile the two? How do you reconcile your Christian life and your business life? And he said, basically, I don't. I am two different people. I'm a Christian and I'm a businessman and the two don't mesh. And I'm not going to try to mesh them. You guys, that's not what we're called to do. We are called, as it says in Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We are called for this lifestyle not just to be here, but to be everywhere, to permeate everything we do. Not just our Christian life that exists in church and, and with each other, but also when we get out of here, when we go to work, when we engage with friends, family, outside of these walls, we take Jesus with us. And I think we all know that. I'm not saying anything new, but sometimes it's good to hear it again, right? <coughs> so, verses 25 through 28, we're not going to read those um, I'll just kind of sum them up. And and if you've got your Bible, you can look through them and and see what they look like. But uh, it's kind of a juxtaposition of the old and the new. It takes a a listing of the old life and things that looked, things things that were of, of this old lifestyle, and juxtaposes them with new. It goes from lies to truth, from harboring anger and hate to working out disagreements in love, from stealing and acting out of our continual lust for more to working and contributing and sharing with those in need. And the thing about this juxtapositioning is that the old ways tear down, destroy community, destroy unity. The new ways are ways to build and to restore unity. So let's move into verses 29 and all the way through uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve of the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So I, I love how this ends, the, and, and the endings are always new beginnings, right? But how this sermon ends, I, I, I love it because I wrote it. Um, no, really. I love it because, in reality, everything is, is illuminated here. So we've, we've read through, and it's through our knowledge of Christ and how we're taught that we're able to put off these, our old selves. And this is what Paul writes in, in, our, in the previous passage that we read. But what this does is that, and it's illuminated here in this this last section, is that we recognize through through this putting off of our old selves and through the teaching of the gospel, we recognize our deficiencies. Now, that doesn't sound illuminating. It doesn't sound encouraging. But in reality, it is. Because when we recognize our own deficiencies and when we illuminate that and when when we share that with each other and we share our needs with each other, we can build into those deficiencies and we can build into each other's needs. It builds unity, it builds community, it builds us up. So when we illuminate all of this, when it becomes illuminated, we start to we start to to, to not just shine among each other. We start to also shine outside of here. 
others see this illumination. And this morning while I was sitting around and kind of thinking about, about this, I was thinking, and, and the sun was shining through. It's not as much now, but it was shining through the, the stained glass. And if you look around at the stained glass, the stained glass is very much like a mosaic. There's these little pieces, and I guess by definition it is a mosaic, but it's these little pieces that are coming together for this design. And if you look at it, it in, its, in its entirety, it's beautiful. But when you focus in a little bit, you see deficiencies, like there's a little piece missing over here. Uh, there's, there's some places where the, the stain, I guess, on the stained glass is maybe rubbed off. And, and it, so if you get down and look at it in its minutia, and back here there are some, some deficiencies, you start to spot these. Because as the sun comes through, the deficiencies actually become illuminated, right? And you can see them. And again, this isn't a bad thing because it doesn't destroy the unity of it. Seeing the deficiencies doesn't take away from the beauty of the stained glass. It just means that they can be addressed and we can build into them. And in doing so, we build community. And I think that's a beautiful example of everything being illuminated. And then Paul does something really cool in this last section as well. He brings it back around to what Steve preached last week. <clears throat> Steve preached, and this was, this was a passage, uh, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Steve used that from Ephesians 4, verse 2, to illuminate the toolkit of the gospel, which in humbleness, we are gentle with each other, and we are patient with each other. And all of this is done by considering others even in their deficiencies, to be better than ourselves and not viewing our deficiencies as somehow being less than others' deficiencies. It's all done in love. So everything is illuminated. These deficiencies, these needs that we have are not something to be ashamed of. They're opportunities for us to build each other up gently, patiently, and humbly and through that to love each other. And then uh, Paul ends it with saying, be imitators of God. And God, in, in his godness, saw our greatest deficiency. And our greatest deficiency existed in that we were separated from him. Our God, being without God, was our greatest deficiency. And he fixed that. He fixed that by sending Jesus. And that's spoken to in, in, in the, the last part of, of our passage as well. He sent Jesus to fix that deficiency, to fill that greatest need of ours. So as we imitate God, as we imitate Christ, we see that we are to build into each other. And we, you, you don't necessarily build into a strength. You build into a weakness. So that's what, that's what I want us to, to think about as we approach communion. Not that I want us to think about the person next to us and their deficiency. But think about our own, our own needs. Our own, and I don't want to say once because, because that's... that's different, but our own, where we, where we need to 
to be transparent, where we need to share with each other what we need, to share where we are, where we are deficient, where, we, where, where we're less than, than optimal, so that we can build into each other. And it's through doing that that we are going to build unity among ourselves. And it's through doing that that people who are not here are going to see that and say, I want to be a part of that. And we do it all, in, in obviously, to, to glorify God, not in that quid pro quo attitude, but in an attitude that we are glorifying, glorifying God and, uh, and worshiping our Savior. So we're going to go ahead and, and pass out communion. And um, if you're a believer, if, if, if you believe that, that Jesus came to fill that greatest deficiency that we have, then, then please partake with us. Take, take the bread that, that represents his body and, and the cup that represents his blood. And, and just realize and, and focus on the fact that he did die and he did so to save us and to fill that gap where we were we're separated from God. And then also, let's, let's commune and consider how we can fill that gap among each other. And maybe if we have something that, that others can build into, how can we share that with each other and, and build each other up through Christ? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll pass out the emblems, and let's commune. <coughs> Lord God, uh, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for, for what you've done for us and how you have, how you have filled us and how you have uh, just taken on our greatest needs and, and you have, um, have made, them, uh, made them your own and, uh, and filled that. And Lord, it's not a quid pro quo thing because we cannot do anything to thank you enough for what you've done. But Lord, uh, you also want to use us. You also want to use us in each other's lives to fill each other and to, uh, to fill those needs that we have among each other, Lord. So I pray that, that you would do that and that we would be open and we would be willing to, uh, to take that on and to take it on in your name as a means to, to glorify you and lift you up so that you can then call all men to you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this time of communion. I pray that, uh, that we will be able to, uh, to focus and to meditate on you and on you alone at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.